Yes, Lord. God, you are worthy. Jesus, you are worthy. I feel purpose in this room. I'm talking about God purpose. There's purpose in this room. The love of God is in this room. If you don't know, now you know. God loves you so much. Don't forget that. No matter what you're going through right now, God is in control. And he loves you. That's his feeling toward us. When he looks at us, he has compassion for us. He sees our weaknesses. He sees that we're frail. And he understands that without him, we always fail. So he gave himself for us. Paid the price of sin with his own blood. So that we will have peace with him. And now we're able to come to his throne of grace. It's a throne of grace. And we can obtain mercy and grace and help in a time of need. When do we need help? When we're weak. So one more time, let's pray. Let's pray. Not praise. But I want you to quiet your, quiet your mind and, and, and your spirit. And just say, Lord, I love you. Right now, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, Jesus. We love you because you first loved us. When we were lost, when we were sinking in sin, you saw us, Lord. While we are yet against you, Christ died. So we may be reconciled unto you, Jesus. God, in this room right now, there are different levels of faith, different levels of glory. But God, you're able to speak to everyone you're able to feed your sheep and feed your lambs, Lord God. And this morning we ask for more of you. We ask, God, that you will reveal to us more of your love and more of your character. So we may run this race with patience. And that we may finish in here, well done, my good and faithful servant. God, we love you and we appreciate you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated for now. Praise God. It's so good to come into a place like this and feel and know that Jesus is here. It's all about Jesus. Can we say his name real quick? Jesus. In the house of the Lord is where we hear the counsel of God. In this moment, this allotted time that God has given us, is where we have we, we gain strength, we gain understanding, and it changes our perceptions of Jesus and ourselves. And today is no different. Today, God has a word for us. Today, the Lord wants to remind us of his sovereignty and his faithfulness. So let's begin and get our Bibles. If you have a device, I know that we're in a new age. Devices now, no one has a... A Bible, a physical Bible. If you do, can you wave it real quick? Physical Bible. Okay. All right. We're in the right church. If you don't know, now you know you have walked into an apostolic church. Meaning that we believe in the doctrine of the apostles. The ones that Jesus taught for three and a half years. The ones he chose. And our church was not started by a man. It was started by God himself. 
And we see it first spoken of the Lord in the four Gospels and then confirmed by those who heard him in the book of Acts. So when you come to this church, you can look, go home later on and read the book of Acts and you're going to see the same thing. You're going to say, wow, I'm in the right place at the right time. Amen? So let's open up our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2. And then you could turn at the same time to Isaiah 57, 17. Two scriptures. And can we stand, please, for the reading of the word? If you look in the scriptures, that's what he did. When the preacher would preach, it would stand up for the reading of the word and honor God in that way. Amen. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2 reads, Behold, or look, God is my salvation. Let's say it together. God is my salvation. One more time. That was weak. God is my salvation. Let's be one voice this morning. Here is a declaration. It says, I will trust and not be afraid. He's declaring out of his mouth. And let's do it now. You ready? I will trust and not be afraid. Why? For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. Praise the Lord. God, Jesus Christ, is our deliverer. We don't look to man for help. We don't look to our own strength. But Jesus, God, is our salvation. And he, in, in, in the same scripture on verse 2, they, they took from the, the sea song in Exodus when Miriam and Israel were delivered and she began to sing. And also we see here the prefigure of Jesus' name. When we see God has become my salvation. Jesus means God is my salvation. So check this out. When the apostles and the Samaritans especially, when they confess out their mouth in the New Testament that Jesus was the Savior of the world, they were saying that in Isaiah 12, 2, this is the God that we identify that the prophet was spoken about, has spoken about. And he is truly the Messiah, the Savior of the world. You see how all things come together and connect. Because God is sovereign and faithful. Isaiah 54, 17. We love this scripture. It says, no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. No weapon that is formed shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is of me, says the Lord. It's a heritage. It's a family heritage that no weapon formed against us will prosper. No matter what generation you live in, this stands for God's children. And his righteousness, our righteousness is of him. So get over yourself. Believe the gospel. And God says he will accredit unto you or give you righteousness. 
Why, why can God boastfully say that no weapon formed against us shall prosper? If you go back one verse in verse 16, he says that the person making the weapon and the weapon belongs to him. Mind-boggling. He says, I'm sovereign. Everything belongs to me. Even the weapon that's being formed belongs to me. I know it's mind-boggling, but it's true. So he says, therefore, the weapon you're looking at that's being formed, it's mine. And it's not going to prosper in your life. Don't worry about it. Let them make it. I'm going to use it for something else. In Jesus' name. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's pray again one more time. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, let faith arise in this place. We need to believe you. 2020 has been a, 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 a trying year, God. But Lord, we understand that you are God and God alone. There is none like you, Jesus. You are in control. You are sovereign. You are great. And we are your children, Jesus. Remind us today, God, who you are. Boast about yourself, God, this morning. Encourage your people and send us forth as servants in this world. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. May we say? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Mm. I've been teaching Bible studies. We have been teaching Bible studies for the past six months. But today I feel a preaching something on me today. Thank God. Hallelujah. Mm. God is sovereign. Jesus Christ is sovereign. Sovereign means absolute control. There is nothing outside of your God's jurisdiction. Every corner of the earth belongs to him. The heavens belong to him. Hell was created by him and used for his glory. Everything belongs to God. Amen? I want to give you three words that we're going to speak about real quick. They're interchangeable. It means the same thing. But I want to bring it out for this introduction. The first word is complete. The second word is perfect. And the third word is absolute. God has complete control over everything that has happened. Everything. Everything in human history that we read about, the disasters, the wars, the peace deals, turmoil, everything in human history, God is in control over. Even when he was speaking to his disciples, apostles, in the book of Luke, he told them, he said, all things that were written in Moses, written in the Psalms, in the prophets, the scriptures, all those things were about me. What he was saying, I was in total control the whole time. Writing the story, showing you who I am, prophesying about my coming. All things belong to him. All things in the past. We should praise God for that. Because what I'm saying is that all the things that happened in your life, God was in complete control over. The good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful. God has never lost control. 
God never reacts. Never, he is never confused. He's never scratching his head wondering what to do next. Everything has been laid out. Everything has been planned. That's the God we serve. And that God loves you. Not only that, praise God. God has perfect control over everything that's happening right now. When we look in our society, we look at the, the pandemic and the injustice, the fear, the death, the life. People are having babies now at new numbers because of this lockdown. All these things that we see happening right now, today, God has perfect control over. It's right in his jurisdiction. Satan is not having the upper hand or does not have the upper hand on God. Even you right now, you're sitting there. I know some of us here are going through some things right now. And we came here for strength. And we came here for a word. Today, God is going to interpretate what you're going through. He's going to use me as your brother to interpretate, to bring to light what's really happening. So that when you leave here, you'll be strong. Because God has perfect control, perfect control over everything that's happening right now. And he has absolute control over what will happen. And that's why we serve him. We have things pending, an election pending. We have, you know, people wanting to buy a house and establish their family pending. People who are single wanting to get married to a good spouse, a godly spouse, and that's pending. And God says, I have control, absolute control over everything that's going to happen. And that's why we must go to him. So can you see it? The, the complete, perfect, and absolute control of God, his sovereignty. God is king. He is glorious. And he's in control. Not only things in the natural realm but also things in the spiritual realm. Here's our first scripture, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. It says, speaking of God, Jesus Christ, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, praise God. Whether, watch this, whether there be thrones or dominions or principalities, or powers, all things were created by him and for him. You see, there's an attribute of God that we know. We call it omnipotent, omni, all, potent, powerful. But it not only means that God has all power, but it means that God delegates power. All power belongs to him. We have to catch this. If we see a man or an angel with power. That power was delegated by God. There is no power outside of God's jurisdiction because God is sovereign. And that's why the enemy we wrestle against has no power over us. And that's why Christ can say to us today, I will give you all power over the power of the enemy. We have to know who we are today. Come on, give God a praise for that. Hallelujah. We have all power.
power over the power of the enemy. Because God is omnipotent. He delegates power. He used even wicked men for the day of evil. Nebuchadnezzar and Cyrus and all these people that he used for his glory because God has all power. All things are in his hands. But although he has power and, 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 and so forth, he has given us, out of his mercy, out of his love, he has given us this earth to inhabit and to be stewards over. The all-powerful God gave us this earth. Isaiah 45, 18 reads, For thus says the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He has established it. He created not in vain, for he formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord and there is none else. God has never intended for us to be sovereign over his creation, but designed us to be dependent upon him to guide our lives. A lot of times the fear that we have and the, the anxiety because we love to be in control. We want, since we're made in his image, I believe, and his likeness, we want to be like him so much that we think that we know all things that we don't. God's original intent in Genesis was for him to rule the seen world, the natural realm, through the unseen, by his spirit. His kingdom, he wanted to colonize the earth, if I could say it that way, and rule the earth through his kingdom from heaven with his intent and his purpose and his will through Adam. But we understand that, or, you know, Adam disobeyed God and kind of broke fellowship with him. But Christ came back to give us that fellowship again. His blood was shed so we may have peace with God and be reconciled with him so that the God who created all things could now be sovereign over our lives. And we will not fear anymore. We fear because we feel like we do not have control. Think about it. Think about it. What's the source of your frustration? Think about it. It's because you don't know what's going to happen. No matter what situation you're in right now, you're frustrated or fearful because you do not know what the outcome will be. But there's one who is sovereign, who says, I know the thoughts I have towards you, says the Lord. Come on. Thoughts to prosper you. Thoughts to give you an expected end. So the one who knows everything through his word tells us our end. Tell us what to do when we do not know what to do. Because he is sovereign and we are stewards. Does that make sense? Amen. So this takes us now to our text, our illustration for today. I want to use this text to draw out truths or the truth. So when you leave here, you leave here strengthened. You leave here strong and you know more of God. The Bible says they that know their God will be what? Courageous and strong, right? And do great exploits. So since we know that Christ has perfect, perfect absolute control over our lives that kinds of cuts out the phrase or the word coincidence 
Nothing is a coincidence. Nothing. Everything that happened in our lives and will happen in our lives, God has planned it already. That's very important. Amen. There is no coincidence in God. When you meet someone in the store and begin to speak about God and, they've, and, and they're receptive to you, that wasn't a coincidence. God was leading you and guiding the other person at the same time. And you came together at the right moment. I love those movies where they have different scenes going on, cut scenes, right? A scene in this country, a scene in this city, different scenes, different characters. But by the time the end of the movie, they're all connected. They're all interwoven. That's God for us. Everything is interwoven. Everything is connected in Jesus' name. So the events in the book of Esther, we know Esther, occurred from 83 B.C. to 473 B.C. during the first half of the reign of King Xerxes. Scripture calls him Asusurus. The book was written no earlier than 40, 470 B.C. and probably no later than 424 B.C. during the reign of Xerxes' son, Artaxerxes. Esther is the only book in the Bible that does not mention the name of God. We don't see any great acts of God. We don't see his right hand of power moving. But it doesn't mean that God's presence and his hand wasn't involved in the events in Esther. And that's like our lives. A normal day for us is not great demonstration of, of, of things. But if we look closely behind what the world will call it, a glass dimly, we will see God working in our lives. And sometimes it's in retrospect we realize that God was with me the whole time. Especially for you who are figuring out this whole Jesus thing. As you begin to engage yourself in the word of God and engage yourself with the people of God and hear stories and testimonies, you will even look back and say, God, you was with me? I didn't even know you. I was between two opinions. And the whole time, you was with me. And you protected me. And you loved me. Oh, God. When someone comes to the knowledge and realization that God was with them when they were enemies of God, it produces great repentance. Trust me, I know. When much is forgiven, there is much love, Christ said. When you realize how low you were and against God, but God still in his mercy showed, showed up in your life, canceled court dates and healed your body and did all these things, your testimony is God is good. And he is awesome. And I will worship him for all my days, all my life. Can we get an amen for that? Hallelujah. There is nothing coincidental in God. I don't care where you are, how bad it may look, or even how high you may be on the mountaintop. Everything is in God's plan. Romans chapter 8, 28, my favorite, one of my favorite scriptures. 
It says this, and we know, this is knowledge, that all things work together for good to them that love God. Do you love God? Do you love God? Hallelujah. That's you. He says, we know that all things work together for good, for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. You see, when we, when we bake a cake, right? Here, here's an example. To bake a cake takes certain ingredients. If I was to isolate any of the ingredients and eat it alone, it wouldn't taste good. If I would take the flour and the butter and all and separate them and just eat the flour, you um, that's nasty. You see, that's the bad experiences in our lives. When we isolate the bad experiences in our lives, it's nasty. It's bitter to the soul. It causes a bad feeling in our spirit. But when you take all the experiences now, the flour and the sugar and all these things and put it together and put it in the fire of the Holy Ghost, right, the oven, and take it out, Oh, that bread is so good. And Christ said, I am the bread of life, right? It produces a Christ-like experience. We are conformed to the image of God, of Christ, when all these experiences come together. And God is saying this in the scripture. He's saying that all things work together for good. For good. That's why we, can't, we, we should not meditate on the one ingredient, the flour. Because it will produce bitterness and lack of faith. But the Bible says in Philippians 4 that we should think on these things, good things, things of, a, of good report, things that are, are lovely, right? And faith, faithful. Think of those things because we know that all things will work out for the good. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Are we okay? All right. So, Esther. When the events seemed out of control for Esther and her cousin Mordecai, God was at work. We're going to see that God works in strange places. When I say strange, I mean strange for us. God works in isolation and separation. Isolation does not feel good. Separation from the familiar does not feel good. But that's where God works, Emma. God works, and Monica, I see you from the connect groups. God works in separation and isolation. Because in this place, in this dark room, is where God prepares us. We see it here in Esther chapter 2, verse 8. God worked through their dark days. Esther was taken to a harem. It says in verse 2, um, verse 8, it says, So it came to pass when the king's commandment and his degree, decree was heard, and when many maidens were gathered together unto Susan, the palace, to the custody of Hegai, that Esther was brought also unto the king's house, to the custody of of Hegai, keeper of the women. Quick, quick, quick drop, um, drop back. So the king, Xerxes in, in, in Persia, 
he had a party, a banquet, for all of the prominent men and his officials in Persia. Big party. Free drinks for days and weeks. It's crazy. And when they were well drunk and under the influence, he decided to call his wife. First mistake. So his wife Vashti refused to come to the king. Some historians say that the reason why, because he wanted to show her off in a derogatory way. And she wasn't having it. So he was wroth. He was upset. And on the flip side, by the way, with God, who's a king also, when God calls us and we don't come, we don't take heed to his calling, not a good thing. When God calls us by name, we must come. This is a kingdom principle. Kings are part of a monarchy. They're not voted in. Kings have all power. And their word is law. So when a king says something, it's law. And if we disobey the law, the law breaks us. <laughs> right? There's consequences. So when Vashti never did not come, his officials said, listen, king, listen. If our wives realize what she's done, they're going to act a fool. This is going to open up a door of problems for all of us in the kingdom. Men, amen? <laughs> I'm playing. So, so he said, okay, what should we do? They said, banish her out the kingdom. Get rid of her. So they did. And some, some historians say that she was executed. The Bible does not say that. History, like historians say it. I'm not sure if it's true, but they say it. So she's banished. After some time now, the king gets, gets over his anger. And his officials come back to him and say, okay, now, now that it's been a while and we're good now and everything is fine, let's find a, a wife for you. Send some men to go into the cities and find beautiful virgins who will take into the kingdom and prepare them for the, for the king. You can choose who you want. Now, in our mind, that sounds good. Like, wow, that's promotion. You know, the king would send an official to come to your house and take one of your daughters and bring to the kingdom. But really, it's not. You see, Esther, when they came to Esther's house, Esther did not have a choice. And I'm sure that she did not want to marry the king because the Jews were, were taught not to intermarry. Not to mix themselves with the Gentiles or the unbelievers. So let's see it now in a more emotional way where it's not good. She snatched out of her house and brought into an unfamiliar place. Not knowing. We know the story. But she had no clue what was going to happen. Away from her, her cousin Mordecai who was consoling her and Take, um, you know, providing for her because her parents died. This is a big deal. And she's taken in this king's palace and surrounded by unfamiliar faces. She had to hide her identity so that they would not know that she was a believer, a Jew. And it was a stressful, stressful experience. 
But God was there. And God was the one that allowed the soldiers to take her abruptly out of her home to bring her into the palace. Because God wanted to expose her to something new. My God. Woo! Jesus. Let me tell you something. Isolation is promotion. Isolation is to expose you to something new. I know it doesn't feel good because you're by yourself. You, you feel like no one understands you. What you're going through, it feels like a personal, you know, crafted trial, which it is. Because God knows what you can take. He knows your weight load. And he wants to bring you to higher heights and deeper depths. So he takes you out of to bring you into. We see it here. Praise God. We see it in, I, in Isaiah 51 verse 2. It says, look unto Abraham your father, the father of faith, the type of church called out of the land of the Chaldees into a land that God promised him. That was unfamiliar, by the way. And unto Sarah that bear you. For I called him, what? Alone. And blessed him. And increase him. Here is the stages. God says, before I can increase you and bless you, I have to get you all by yourself. This is the process. Don't complain. I remember when I first came into the truth, when God drew me out of my familiarity, you know, the, my friends and my environment, and brought me into the church. I felt so bad. I felt good, but I felt bad because the things that I used to do, I couldn't enjoy anymore. But the people that I, were, I was with, I didn't understand. And I felt like, God, where am I? I'm in a dark place. I don't know who I am anymore. I'm not enjoying going out to nightclubs and talking about these things and that. I love you and I want more of you, but I don't understand everything. And in those moments is where God was molding me. And God is molding you. Some of you have been in church for maybe two weeks, recently baptized, and you feel this way. I know you do. You're like, ah, the friends are calling. You want to go, but you don't want to go. Church is on Sunday, you want to go, but you don't want to go. And you're like, God, where am I? I don't know where I'm at. But I know how I feel. I know that something has changed inside of me. But God, help me to interpretate what is going on. And this morning, I'm here to show you that God is working. He is purging, removing the old man, building up the new man. And it does not feel good, but at the end of the day, you will look like Christ. Because in the dark room, it's where images are made. And the Bible says its purpose is to conform you into the image of his son. That's the mystery of godliness. God manifests in the flesh, our flesh now, because we are the body of Christ. God is working. Don't abandon the process. Don't abandon the process. Mm. Don't abandon the process. I know you don't feel right. I know things are crazy right now. But the old way will never work anymore. God won't allow it to work. Through his mercy and his grace, he won't allow you to go back. So don't try. You can't kick against the prick, Saul. 
flow with the Holy Ghost. Allow God to do his work in you so that you will be prosperous in the kingdom of God. It's in this time of aloneness or isolation is where God begins to, do, to work on our appetites. He works on our spiritual disciplines and he prepares us in this time of preparation. That's what he was doing for Esther, preparing her in this unknown place to see the king so that she will be fit for the master's use. You see how it works? We even see it with Jesus. Mark chapter 1, verse 9 through 13, quickly. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John and Jordan. And straightway, coming out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. This is like our altar calls. And oh man, what just happened? Something new happened to me today. But watch this. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved son, and who am well pleased. God acknowledges him. He feels it. He knows it. John, I mean Mark 12 now, verse, verse 12. It says this, And immediately after that great experience, it says the spirit, not the devil, the spirit, not even yourself, the spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And it says, and he was there in the wilderness 40 days. It's a, a lot of time. God has a time for you to be in this isolation. But we have to endure to the end. And tempted of Satan, here it is, tempted of Satan and was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered unto him. What am I saying here? This is crazy. So there is Satan tempting Wild beasts, but the angels are there. Can you relate to that? The enemy on your back, tempting you to go back. Wild beasts could represent people, people antagonizing you, coming against you. Now you're, now you're a believer. But through all that, the Bible says the angels are there. This is the process that we're in, the beginning process of being isolated where God is working on us. God says, yes, things are going on. The enemy is, is there tempting you and trying you. And there's beasts and perils and danger. But I'm there with you. I've charged my angels concerning you. Don't fear. God will bring you through the isolation. Can we get an amen for that? Amen. I think we got it. Moving on. Not only does God work in isolation... But God is working through our trials. He's working. He has employed our trials to work for us. In the world is different. But in the church, God is working through trials. The weapons are formed and the issues arise. This is why. To provoke you and I to prayer. Sometimes when things are going too good, we don't pray. But God knows how to shake up things in our lives to get our attention. So we may be provoked into prayer. 
Esther chapter 3, verse 8 says, And Haman said unto king Azarias, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in Palm Beach County. Not Palm Beach, sorry. <laughs> in all the providence of the kingdom. He said they're everywhere. These people, these believers, these Jehovah, Jehovah children, Christ children. They're all over the place, dispersed. And watch this. And their laws are divers from all people. <laughs> we walk by different laws, right? Neither keep they the king's laws. Therefore, it is not for the king's profit to suffer them. It says, if it pleases the king, let it be written that they be destroyed. Here's the weapon being formed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver to the hands of those that have charge of the business to bring it into the king's treasuries. Verse 10. And the king took his ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hemadeth, or Datha, the Agai, the Jew's enemy. And the king said unto Haman, the silver is given to thee, the people also, to do with them as it seems good to thee. Here we see the enemy of the Jews. The same enemy that God commanded Saul to destroy. And he did not do it. He kept the good portions and the king has arisen later on in the lives of the children of Israel. Be careful that we do, that we do not deal with the evils and the, the hang-ups and hurts that we have now. Because if we don't, they will carry on and raise their head later on in our grandchildren's life or next generation. We are here to change the legacy of our bloodline. We are here to change the legacy of our bloodline. We have power now. We have the blood, we have his name, and we have his spirit to deal with all the ites that want to rise up its head in our children's lives. Be strong. Be courageous. Know God. And allow him to use you to cut off the head of the serpent once and for all. Amen. God desires godly seed. So we see that since Saul didn't deal with it, here it is again. Haman um, working a weapon to destroy God's people. Getting the king involved because he knows that the king's word is law. And he gets the king to sign a decree, decree to destroy God's people. So we see here now that the people now, they are provoked to prayer. Esther 4.3, and in every province, whichsoever the king's commandment and his decree came, decree came, there was a great mourning among the Jews and fasting and weeping and wailing and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. That's been happening now for us. COVID came. The building shut down. We're not sure what's going to happen. We begin to pray. We begin to fast. We begin to seek God even more. And many of us feel stronger now than ever before. Because the weapons that are formed in this life has come to provoke us 
to prayer. The weapon, the weapon is not going to destroy you. The report is not going to destroy you. Who am I talking to? Somebody in here needs to hear that. The weapon that you see being formed, the thoughts, the fear, the false evidence appearing real will not prosper in your life. Don't waste your energy worrying about things that will never prosper. But use that same energy and get on your knees and begin to worship the almighty God. He's using it for his glory. He is using the weapon. Corinthians 4, 17 to 18 says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not to the things which are seen, but, to, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are seen are eternal. God says, don't look at what you see. It's temporary. It's a lie. It's a threat, but it has no power. He says, look now to what you cannot see, Abraham. Don't look for a city built by man, but look for the city who's built by God. Look for deliverance from a God that you can't see, but you know is inside of you. And when you do so, you'll be strong. Don't waste your time with trials. Go through them with God. The Bible says it's working for us. An eternal weight of glory. You know what glory is for us? It's the fullness of God expressed out of us. That's glory. The glory of a flower is at 12 o'clock. That's scripture where it's blooming. The glory of the sun also is at 12 when it's shining the brightest. The glory that God is producing through our trials is the fullness, the full expression of God in our lives. We are a type of Christ. Like Moses, a type of Christ. David, a type of Christ. We are also a type of Christ. We are his body. And God is working in us. Glory. David said this way. He said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. Before the trial came, I was backsliding. But he said, but it was good for me now that I was afflicted. Because if I was not afflicted, I would not know his statues. I wouldn't know that God is a deliverer. I would not know that God is merciful and compassionate and his mercy endureth forever. We want that testimony. God, it was good that I was afflicted. It was good I went through that trial. It was good I was rejected. It was good I was forsaken by man. Because when mother and father forsake me, then the Lord will lift me up. Come on, somebody. God is with you. Don't worry about it. The scene. God says when they leave, that's when I show up. When problems come, that's when you will know who I am. 
How can we know a God who delivers if there's no trial? How can we know the healer if there's no sickness, affliction? Many are the affliction of the righteous, but the Lord delivered them from them all. Praise God. That's the God we serve. Hallelujah. The living God. In Jesus' name. While they were praying, I'm closing shortly, soon. While they were praying, help was on the way. While they were praying, God was working. God remembered the woman he took and put in a dark place. He remembered the woman who, who he was working on in isolation and separation. He remembered her faithfulness. And even in the isolation, she had favor. The angels were there. Praise God. Hallelujah. So when the weapon was formed and the people began to pray, God said, I got you. And here it is. God's sovereignty is best summarized in Mordecai's exhortation to Esther. And in this, we're going to see the title of the message. Esther 4.13 says, And Mordecai told them to answer Esther. So he sent a letter to Esther, which is very important. Very, very important. But Esther kind of wanted to hold back herself. He said, Esther, go speak to the king because Haman wants to destroy us. But she hesitated. This is very important. God called her and chose her for a purpose. Blessed her now. Put her in a high position and blessed her. But Esther kind of forgot who she was. She began to get complacent, comfortable in the blessing that God gave her. So now Mordecai is putting some fire under her feet. And I pray that God put some fire under our feet because we are blessed. But sometimes we can sit down in our blessing like we did it and forget that God has purpose for you. Praise God. So Mordecai told them to answer Esther, don't think in your heart that you will escape the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, praise the Lord, if we remain silent during COVID-19, silent during the, the injustice in the world, silent during this, this, this time of great trial and tribulation, he says, don't think that you'll be safe. But God says here, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But look at this. He says, but you... And your father's house will perish. Then he says this, yet who knows? Look to your neighbor and says, who knows? This is the title of the message, who knows? Who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Who knows that what you have been going through your whole life have brought you to the kingdom for such a time as this. Some of you are here right now because someone invited you to come. But you said yes. Normally you would say no. But you said yes. Hallelujah. But who knows? If you're sitting here, look at this preacher because God has called you 
for such a time as this. Nothing in your life will be wasted. Nothing in your life will be wasted. God's going to use all your experiences to reach someone else. Because there's nothing uncommon to man. Every, all our trials and things that we go through, that there's someone else going through the same thing. And you're able now to talk to them, to witness to them, to let them know who God is and how God delivered you. You're going to be so good at witnessing that you could tell them what they're thinking at the moment before they told you. You could tell them, I know how you feel. You feel this way. They're going to say, how do you know I've been there? And God has called me for such a time as this. Who knows why that person left you? It's evil. But God said all things will work together for the good. Who knows why now that you decide to exercise, now you get a diagnosis of whatever it is. Who knows God wants to show you his power, show you his glory, allow you to be touched with the infirmities and weakness of other people who are going through the same thing. I've noticed that only believers are able to encourage someone while they're going through the same thing that person is going through. Strong in the office when people are worried about being fired. You're strong even though you're worrying yourself but something rise up in you because God has been working on you in a dark place. God has provoked you to prayer and now you're ready now to fulfill the call that God has for you. I'm closing here. Many people fall back at this point in the process. I came for this. The point of taking action. God has prepared us and we have been provoked to prayer. God has blessed our house and now he's calling for us to accomplish what started this whole journey in the first place. But we draw back our soul. I know a man, quick story, who was in church and you know people like this also, just got married, had no job, horrible resume, had a record, and he prayed to God to bless him with a job. God bless me. Had the church praying for him. And lo and behold, because God is faithful, God blessed him, rose him up out of the miry clay, and blessed him tremendously. And along the way, it's like they forgot who blessed them. It's like he convinced himself that he got the contracts. When he forgot, Sister um, Powell, that he couldn't market. He didn't know how to market. He didn't know how to put, put together a business plan. But God still blessed him above everyone else because of his grace. And he began to work extra trying to protect his investment that God gave him, by the way. Begin missing church, missing prayer meetings. Hey, bro, where you at? Oh, I'm, I'm working. I'm busy. Like he was the one that blessed him in the first place. Finally, finally, years later, his wife ended up dying, and he's out of church still. And I'm praying that God will bring him back. But these are the stories that we hear over and over and over again 
how God will take someone out of obscurity and, and a low place and raise them up and bless their house and bless their household and bless them. And then when the time comes, when the calling comes down, like, come, I've been preparing you for this now. We say, no, God, I'm, I'm too comfortable in my things. I have to work more. Like, no, no time for Bible studies. I didn't go to work. I need more money, more houses, more, more, more. I, I did this. That was Esther. And Mordecai told her, and I'm saying to you today, that don't think that God won't raise, won't raise up someone else. Everyone here could be replaced. And while God replaces you, you're you and your house, you finish it. What he said. God is calling us. Galatians say this. Paul said this way. He says, are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? It says, have you suffered so many things in vain? If it be yet in vain. Music become, we're going to close with this. God has called you. God has molded you. Many of you here have great stories and testimonies of what God has done in your life. In his sovereignty, he knew you. In his sovereignty, he, he justified you. He called you. And who he called to himself, he justifies. He gave, you, he gave you his blood and his spirit, the gospel. And now he wants to glorify you. He wants to bring you into your full expression of Christ. What are you going to do? Are you going to answer the call? Or are you going to draw back your soul? God is calling you. This world has nothing to offer us. We will never be rich enough. We will never be successful enough. But if we connect ourselves to the vine, if we abide in him, we will prosper. What you think, where you think you're going for some of you, is not where God wants to take you. It's time for us to ask him, Lord, what do you have for me to do? No happenstance, no coincidence in God. But who knows if God has called you to the kingdom for such a time as this. Can we stand? Hallelujah, Jesus. Begin to pray now and just ask God to remove anything that would cause you to draw back your soul. Is it fear? Is it being comfortable? Hallelujah. Is it the things? Is it a career? Are you complaining in the process? Is the loneliness, the separation taking a toll on you? God is saying, I'm with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. I have a plan for your life. A plan. A plan. There's purpose. God has designed you, crafted your, your walk in this life to bring you to now. 
a place where you can now express what he has called you to do. In these coming months, you're going to see the call. It's going to be broadcast, I should say, through pastor and, and things and, and, and Jesus, right? They work together. And you're going to hear it. You're going to say, I should do this. But another voice in the wilderness will arise and say, you can't do that. You're too busy. You have no time. What are you going to do then? I pray now that the angels will minister to you in those times. This call that God is calling is for your life's sake. It's going to keep you in the church. It's going to keep you connected to Christ. Don't take the calling lightly. Don't take the call, the high calling of God lightly. There are pastors in this congregation, evangelists in this congregation, Bible study teachers in this congregation, people who have a word from God even now. In, in, in this beginning stage, you, you have a sensitivity to God. And God wants to use you for his glory. We need hands and feet so we can spread across all over this county. We need churches and connect groups all over this county. Where people will say, the people are everywhere. And their laws are different than ours. But their God is strong. I've seen them overcome great things. We try to beat them down, but they get up. I don't know why we're, we're designed that way, but we see it in the book of Genesis or, or Exodus or Genesis, I believe, Genesis. Exodus. It says that when Pharaoh afflicted the people, right? It says they grew more. The more Pharaoh afflicted the people in Egypt, the more they grew. He put taskmasters on them and whipped them and warned them to make bricks with no straw. But while he was persecuting them, they grew and grew stronger. That's the church. God wants us to be a, a, a presence or, or, or have a presence in this county. And he is calling you. Before we pray, I want to read something to you real quick. And this is the last thing. God had me writing early in the morning. And it's, it's, it's a little short story that I wrote. But I hope that it inspire someone don't mind the grammar I did it quick and I didn't check it after I just did it so purpose is so powerful everything has purpose in God we can overlook the smallest details even trees are used for God's purpose have you ever thought of that how trees are used a tree was planted either by a farmer or perhaps a seedling from another tree that fell to the ground and it was planted. The tree grew amongst many other trees. Storms came and took down some trees around it, but it remained. People came from all over and began cutting down some trees, some more trees to build homes, but that tree remained. For many years, the tree stood strong and thrived through adversities. After many, many years, a group of soldiers and what it seems to be prisoners of slaves finally came and begun to cut that same tree down. It seemed like the end had come 
and it wouldn't be used for anything significant. They loaded it up and dragged the tree to a Colosseum area where a man stood bloody, hallelujah, and wounded. They put the tree on the back of the man and he carried it to the top of a hill. They laid the tree down and nailed the man, hands and feet to the tree. At the end of the day, that tree helped God accomplish the greatest act of love ever demonstrated. Praise God. The lesson in the story is that nothing will destroy or keep you back from fulfilling the plan God has for you. The storms of life may come and people may try to misuse you. But when God's hand is upon you, nothing will separate you from the love of God. Hallelujah. We have purpose, people of God. We have purpose. Endure to the end. Endure in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. If you need prayer, you may come up and stand six feet and we'll pray for you. If you're going through a dark time right now, you need someone to pray. We, we, we wear a mask, sanitize our hands, all, all that good stuff. But if you are willing to come down, or I'm sorry, if you're sitting down and need prayer, we'll come to you. You can raise your hand and we'll pray. Over here, someone needs prayer. Here in the middle, someone needs prayer. Someone's down here for prayer. When we pray one for another, there's strength. We are our brother's keepers. We're going to pray for you that God will help you and give you strength in the process. Over here in these prayer. One more call. This word is for covenant people. This word is for people who are in covenant with Jesus Christ. How do we do that? We come in through the gospel. The Bible says that we first repent after we are aware of God and what he has done for us. We repent. Change of mind. Change of purpose. We move towards him. We become dead to the old man. Then the Bible says that we are baptized in water in the name of God, the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness or pardon of our sins. And it says and then we shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. If you want to be baptized today in water right here, we have everything for you. You can you can raise your hand or come down and we will baptize you. And you will be baptized, circumcised, right, in the heart. That's the covenant sign. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost today. And God will continue this process he has bringing you through. It's a process, people of God. It's a process. God is for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus. God, we love you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We appreciate you, God. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your love and your compassion. We thank you, God, that you are with us in the process. We thank you, God, that you are with us, Lord God, on this journey and that your grace is sufficient for us in our weakness. We ask, God, that right now you will strengthen your people. You will strengthen your people, God. Strengthen us, Lord, to finish our course. Help us, God, to endure to the end. We are looking now unto the author and the finish of our faith. And that is Christ Jesus. 
in Jesus' name. Let's pray, church. Pray, pray some more before we leave. Contact God. Ask Him questions. Ask Him for strength in the name of Jesus.